Welcome one, welcome all, and welcome back to Conversations with the Mind, folks. You are in the right place. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to first start off by saying thank you to all of our listeners. You guys are the reason that we do this whole thing in the first place. So thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen. The listenership continues to grow every week, and we are enthralled by the growth that has happened so far. And largely, that is because of all of you telling your friends and family about the podcast, sharing it on your social media when you see us post either YouTube videos or our podcast audio. Please, please, please continue to like and share all of our stuff that we share on there. Get it out to your friends and family through word of mouth, through social media, through email, however you can. Also, if you find the content of this podcast at all useful, please feel free to donate to the podcast. There should be a link at the bottom of whatever podcast app you're listening to. So you can donate to the podcast in any amount. It can be from 50 cents, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you want. We've had some... uh, Contributors come in and and throw down some um, hefty donations in the past, which has helped us to upgrade some of our equipment. But we're looking to upgrade our audio equipment next. That means microphones, soundboards, things like that. And uh, most of our upgrades have been directly out of pocket, which we don't mind doing. Like I said, this message is for you guys. This is why we do it. It was for you guys. But if you find it at all useful, it can be beneficial to your own karma to give and donate to a cause that you find worthy. So if you find that this podcast has benefited you in any way, uh, has provided value to you and your life in any way, or to the value of your loved one's lives in any way, please feel free to donate and show your appreciation for the content, for the guests, and for the work that we put into the podcast. So please donate. But the best way you can support us is by liking and sharing. So make sure you go to our YouTube page as well. Go to the Mind Ops YouTube page, and it's spelled just like it is on the website, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. I tell you what, guys, it was super fun to create my website, and um, I love all the little features that I put on there, all the videos, uh, all the links to the podcast, um, all the sections on uh, psychotherapy and things like that, and and keep going to the website. There's going to be more and more updates to come. We're going to have loads and loads of content, uh, all useful and free stuff on there. And you can also reach out to myself or to our guests through the website as well. So mind-ops.com. Go to the comments section and leave whatever comment or question you may have. So please go to the YouTube page. The Mind Ops YouTube page, like I said, it's spelled M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. And on that YouTube page, we have a variety of things. I've put up the uh, videos of some of these podcast episodes, as well as a number of um, videos that I've shot just kind of breaking down some of the content that we talk about on the show. And I've also created a number of playlists on there, so feel free to explore the playlists on the YouTube page. Uh, Some of the playlists that I've put together are are fascinating, for me anyway. Um, I've probably categorized hundreds of different uh, interesting videos from topics like psychology to philosophy to quantum mechanics to uh, philosophy of mind to psychedelics to uh, lectures from famous uh, people. So check out the playlist folks Um, check out the little categories that we have there and if anything interests you during the show feel free to go check out the playlist chances are I've I've already put something up uh, on there to to help 
broaden your understanding and knowledge on some of these topics. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome back to the show. And now a word from our sponsor. Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored by MindOps.com. You can find us at www.mind-ops.com. We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military, through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story. Wow, there really is good news coming out every single day if you really do pay attention to it. Um, If you're listening from Colorado, especially, there's a lot of stuff going on that's positive in our state right now. For those of you listening outside of Colorado and in other countries, I'm sure there's just as much going on in your areas. You just got to open your eyes and look around a little bit and uh, try and focus a little bit more on the good things going on. So anyway, the good news story today, um, I don't think I reported on this recently uh, as it was leading up to this but but uh, we had some significant news in Colorado uh, history today so Jared Polis our governor today signed a bill defelonizing single-use drug possession for schedule one and schedule two substances that's huge news folks Um, right on the coattails of uh, decriminalizing psilocybin mushrooms uh, Jared Polis has defelonized all schedule one and schedule two substances uh, which is pretty cool. So for those of you who know, know uh, who don't know what defelonizing means, that doesn't make uh, all drugs legal by any means. Um, that just means that people who are going to be caught with um, single-use drug possession of Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 substances, um, they're not going to have a felony following them around for the rest of their life, pre- preventing them from getting jobs, um, preventing them from you know moving up in life and getting houses and, and uh, loans and all sorts of things like that. I work in a substance abuse uh, industry as a um, licensed addiction counselor, and so so many times I hear my clients come in saying, you know, I I only used once, or you know, I got busted for this. Um, you know, the police found some somebody else's pills in my car, and I had borrowed the car, and now I have this felony that's following me around forever, and I just can't get a job. And so, I think by defelonizing uh, drug possession in um, Colorado, and this is a statewide uh, measure. Um, it's going to start to shift again uh, some of the stigmatization around it and and hopefully help people get back on their feet after making some mistakes with substances rather than punishing uh, people and creating an even worse situation for people in their lives where they would they might feel like they need to escape back into the drug anyway so this is um, let's see measure HB 19-1263 if any of you want to look it up um, defelonizes drug possession for substances such as heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, and most other illicit drugs. So Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 are the highest classifications under U.S. Um, law. And that pretty much says that there's very little, if any, um, medical use for 
these drugs, which is kind of ridiculous uh, because we have lots of medical uses for um, opiates, uh, which is what heroin is. That's what fentanyl is. Uh, we have documented uh, medical uses, effective uses for cocaine and other canes, uh, lidocaine, uh, carbocaine, all sorts of other things that you get at the dentist's office, things like that. So the fact that uh, these drugs have been scheduled so high um, and criminalized uh, and demonized so much makes absolutely no sense if you look into the science and the research behind it and, and the value that these drugs have. Um, so this, makes, this is really cool. Really cool step forward, and again, uh, Colorado's leading the charge. Um, it's this is more in lines of uh, what places like Switzerland and Portugal are doing and have initiated for a long time. Today, in today's podcast, uh, we get into that a little bit. So, if if there's any of you guys out there who are scared of what this defelonizing and what these shifts are happening in um, drug policy, no need to fear. Um, you know, we address that in the podcast. And if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out. So that's our good news story today. Awesome, awesome news. All right. So the conversation that's been on my mind recently, and I'm sure this is not a foreign concept to all of you out there. I think that we all engage in thinking around this idea in some way or another. But it's the idea that people have differing points of view that our lens for consciousness is oriented from different points of location, uh, different locations in space, physically, but also different perspectives, different, um, you know, our minds are in different places. So I don't know, in the news recently, there's been a lot of polarization. And I know polarization, um, of ideas and polarization of political stances and things like that is is nothing new. It's been around since humans could communicate. Since humans could communicate, we've been disagreeing um, and having our own differing opinions. And this is a good thing, folks. Uh, if we all thought the same and we were all standardized in our thinking, um, there wouldn't be the beauty that is the variety of our life and our existence as a culture and as a species. So it's a good thing that we argue, and it's a good thing that we differ in opinion, and it's a good thing uh, that we bring different perspectives to the table. So recently in a lot of the news, especially around like uh, Alabama and their new laws coming into play around abortion and criminalizing it and you know really polarizing a lot of people in this country um, on a lot of these issues, it seems like this this topic or this undercurrent, this idea that I'm talking about of differing perspectives seems to uh, bleed through all of these um, all these instances. And it probably happens to you in your everyday life too. I mean, I know it does for me. Uh, my wife and I frequently disagree on things. Um, and again, that's not a bad thing. It shouldn't be viewed as a bad thing. I don't want to be with a partner who agrees with every single thing that I think. Um, I mean, it's it's nice uh, every once in a while when we both have the same thought and we both want to go do the same thing or go see the same movie or or whatever. That's that's awesome. It's it's great to feel that connection, but it's also invigorating and and promotes growth within me when she and I differ in opinions. You know, uh, we both. I mean, we hang out a lot together. I'm sure you guys have friends and family that this happens to too, where you share an experience with somebody, and not only you know, later on when you're talking about it, not, not only is your experience completely different of the same 
event that, you know, your family or friend member went through with you. But oftentimes, you know, it's perceived completely differently or, you know, they, they experienced it completely differently, felt a whole different set of emotions or had a whole set of different thoughts, um, after the event, or maybe the event had a different impact on someone else, right? So, you know, look around you and and notice the polarizations going on and uh, differing of opinions and and notice how people react to these things. You know, there's a lot of hate going on around these things and people, people feeling like if, you know, if my ideals are not validated and they're being challenged by others, then I need to somehow defend my place and, and, um, and make sure that they know that my opinion is the right opinion, right? And this is, this is all false, folks. Why are we pushing so hard? Why are we pushing others so hard to adopt our own viewpoints? Um, we should be fighting, uh, not physically fighting, but we should be, you know, we should fight to have our voice heard for sure and to have our opinion heard. All of our opinions, all of our perspectives matter, but we should not be fighting to have other people adopt our opinions or to change their way of thinking because we think differently. You know, that's where a lot of these conflicts are getting really out of hand, folks, is when we expect other people to fall in line with our ideals once we've explained it from our high horse. So I don't know. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot and and trying to practice this week, um, especially, you know, with, like I said, my wife is one of my best teachers, So I, I and she's right here available for me. So forever, whoever's in your life right now in your immediate circles, take the time to to notice these things and how are you differing in opinions and are you approaching the difference in perspective, the difference in opinion and the difference in consciousness from a place of productivity, from a place of uh, curiosity and interest in what the other person has to say and how they can come to those conclusions or are you automatically going into the interaction wanting a fight wanting to prove that you're right, wanting to change somebody into believing what you believe. And why are you even doing this in the first place? Is it to justify your own viewpoint? You know, are you afraid to have your reality and your worldview rocked? Are you afraid to have that shattered and blown out of the water? And are you afraid of having to change it? Maybe now in favor of some, some new information, some new news, um, yeah, a lot of this is a lot of this is a fear response, folks. So for those of you struggling and fighting, forcing back and forth um with people who differ in opinions to you, take a look at yourself. And take a look at what your motives are and see that you are doing yourself so much harm by pushing back. Okay? We should be we should be approaching others with curiosity and with openness and with understanding. Even if we don't adopt their viewpoints, it's still to our benefit to just gain that extra data, to gain that extra insight. Um, I don't know. I feel like our, our consciousness and our mind has the potential to be ever-expanding and our ideas uh, ever-changing for the better if we allow ourselves to be open to it. 
And if you're fighting against others who differ in opinion, you're closing yourself into your own box. You're not remaining open. So folks out there, pay attention to this. Um, but that's been what's been on my mind recently and, and something that I've been thinking a lot about this week. All right. So our guest today, very special guest, a uh, good friend of mine. His name is Joe Moore. He is the co-founder of Psychedelics Today, uh, and I'll post the website in the description as well. It's www.psychedelicstoday.com. Now, Psychedelics Today is a media and education outlet uh, meant to help educate uh, not only the masses, definitely the masses, but also educate professionals in the field. So doctors, clinicians, uh, yoga instructors, breathwork instructors, um, you know, um, fire, police, EMT, anybody who might have any contact uh, with psychedelics or with clients who engage in psychedelics. Psychedelics Today really helps to pump out good education for all these folks and help educate people as to um, the research that we know so far about psychedelics as well as how to handle other people who are who are experiencing these uh, profound transcendental visionary experiences, either through psychedelics or through breathwork or just through the psychedelic experience that we call life itself. And we get into that pretty deep into the podcast, you know, just how, how this life, this existence, this reality that we all experience day to day is really, this is really the biggest trip that any of us could be on. This is the most mind manifesting psychedelic experience uh, yeah, better than any, any drug could ever give us is what we're experiencing right now. And we talk about that. So Joe Moore, um, like I said, good friend. We've known each other for a number of years. I've been, a um, a guest on his podcast. I think he said, uh, four or five times and I currently hold the record for most appearances. Uh, so whoop, whoop. That's awesome for me. Uh, awesome for psychedelics today. Awesome for all of you listeners. Um, he has an undergrad in philosophy, and we get really deep into philosophy of the mind and, and what he is, um, what journey he's taken through uh, exploring his own mind and exploring consciousness and what that means. So we'll get into all that and a lot, lot more on the podcast. Make sure you guys listen all the way through. Joe will get into how you can contact him and uh, seek out his uh, services if, if you feel like you need some education or you might have a group um, – in your area that might might want to facilitate an educational seminar or something. I know he also does breath breathwork workshops and uh, also has an online curriculum um, for a number of different consciousness oriented topics uh, and navigating psychedelic spaces. So awesome! Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. It was a lot of fun making it. Uh, we will have the video up on our YouTube page as well. And um, just so you guys know, this is only an hour-long podcast. Uh, Joe had to get going, but we do plan on having him back very, very soon. Uh, we only scratched the surface on a lot of these issues, and, and Joe and I are going to go much, much deeper in the future. So here you go, episode 44 of Conversations with the Mind. Enjoy, folks! This is the Conversations with the Mind podcast, where we explore consciousness through conversations with interesting people. 
Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. This is episode 44 with Joe Moore. How are you, Joe? I'm doing wonderful today, Shane. Yourself? I'm doing great. We just got done with a workout, and uh, now I'm just chilling with my, with my two co-hosts, my dogs, uh, right behind me in our giant love sack in our house. Uh, <laughs> quite nice. This is uh, my makeshift studio behind me. So, um, Yeah, so I want to welcome you to the podcast and start off by uh, shooting out this one standardized question that I have, and that's the only standardized question I have for the whole thing. And uh, that is, you know, the title of the podcast is Conversations with the Mind, and I just want to get a sense from you what that means to you when you hear that phrase, how it resonates with you, how it lands with you, and, and sort of unpack your thoughts about Conversations with the Mind. Mm, it's, it's a deep name, right? Like, there's a lot going on there. In essence, I think what's going on is we're really, like, focused on, you know, making money, eating, whatever we're doing, kind of egocentric stuff. And there's a lot of your mind left. Um, that that kind of classic phrase of you're only using like, I have no idea what the number is. I think it's kind of glib, like five ten percent of your mind or your brain. Brain not equaling mind is a big deal. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot left. And uh, what happens when we start communicating with the rest of it? I think I think something really interesting happens, and that's really where our potential is. Like we're if we're only at five ten percent of our potential right now, what happens when we get to fifty? amazing things really so that's kind of my first pass nice um could you break down a little bit what your thoughts are like the because i i definitely agree with you there's a should be a distinction in the conversation when we talk about mind you know we're not necessarily talking mm -hmm. about brain and um, there's a lot of different theories about this and i'd love to hear your take too because of your background in philosophy and philosophy of mind is something that we've kind of riffed on before uh, but this idea you know, once held that the brain and the mind are one in the same. Um, and now um, other theories coming out saying that the brain is simply like maybe a tuning fork for the mind or for consciousness. And it's just, uh, you, you know, an, an organ. Um, and we're, we're hearing things, uh, you know, like from Stan Groff saying that the mind is, is not even localized within the body itself. Um, that it's, you know, it passes through and uses the body as a tool. So what, what do you think about, um, I think it's a really interesting thing that needs to be brought up, you know, that distinction. Right. So um, we'll start with having, like, we certainly know that the mind is distributed through the body. Like we have pretty good certainty on that. Through the um, body. Throughout the body. Yeah. Distributed throughout your whole body. Um, that, you know, your, <laughs> your brain is not your only mind. Like it's definitely a full body phenomenon um, at the very least. Um, and I, I like the Huxley line. Huxley kind of stole it from somebody. I don't know who it was. It's like a, the brain is kind of a sensory reduction valve, like a mind reduction valve. Um, and when you add psychedelics into the mix, it can often show its true colors. Um, you know, perhaps you experience the totality of you or just you get a sense for how big you are. I mean, like it sounds kind of glib saying this, but it's, you know, you're a pretty big thing. You are, you're inheriting all of the history of the universe 
and you're, if you can hear this and understand a little bit of what we're saying, you own a human brain, which is the most complex thing um, in the universe that we know of. So that's um, a pretty amazing deal. Um, so like, you know, what is mind? We have a long way to go on this. That's kind of where I want to put it. You know, Stan Groff's data and all of his LSD psychotherapy research shows that um, you are not necessarily limited to your biological existence. You have access to and are far more than that. So for instance, in an LSD psychotherapy session or a holotropic breathwork workshop or ayahuasca or whatever, you could have an experience that doesn't necessarily make linear logical sense. Um, so you have to then, because it happened, you know, your model's broken. Like if your model doesn't account for something that's happened, then you have to update your model to, to capture these findings or allow for these things. So that's where, you know, there's, there's all sorts of writers and philosophers on this subject. Like I kind of like the idea of like a family kind of having like a group mind and like a country, a state, you know, various groups have these things in the, in the Western magical tradition, you call them an egregore. Um, and there's, you know, group soul, group mind kind of, you know, spirits that you could theoretically say are the mind of that group. So, you know, and then, you know, mammals and, you know, anything that has shared DNA, um, planets perhaps have consciousness in mind, who knows? Um, there's, there's a lot and the, the subject is huge. We're actually launching a free philosophy class. I, I don't know if you saw the email a little bit ago. It's going to be with um, Peter Schwerstead H, who's a philosopher of mind from the UK and has a very strong interest in psychedelics and where they interact with philosophy. And I'm very excited about that because we're going to definitely dig very deep into philosophy of mind. My general opinion is that I don't have a firm position on much <laughs> nice. other than my lack of knowledge. Yeah, I like how um, at first you were describing, you know, you said the brain as being almost like this filtering mechanism for the mind where, you know, the mind or consciousness is, is this giant um, data pool of information, you know, um, whether it's, you know, information or egos or, or individual identities or who knows, um, but that the brain acts as a filter. And we know this through Western psychology too, that we filter out so much more than we actually let through in our daily perception. So for the listeners out there, like in every second of your existence, you're, I think I've read you're taking in about 80,000 bits of information, but your brain can only uh, comprehend or make sense of about 80 bits. So you let go of more than 99% of what you're perceiving in order to make sense of what's going on around you. And what's also happening is your brain is also filling in all sorts of gaps uh, in information that's missing. And so, uh, you know, using it as this idea of a, of a filter makes a lot of sense to me, especially when you talk about psychedelics sort of breaking or, or widening the filter. If, if every day we can let in like 80 bits of information and understand it. Now psychedelics maybe will allow us to understand 800 bits, maybe just a little bit more, but we're still just barely scratching the surface. I love that idea. And then you're also talking about um, these group minds and on every single scale that, that happens. And, you know, I love blowing it up to the biggest, um, 
and, and just the collective mind of all human beings, um, you know, transcending borders and transcending genders and races and things like that. We all are a piece or a fractalized version of this one thing, this one entity, this one intelligence, this one data set. Um, and how do we, how do we come together and interact with, with each other on that level too? Have you seen this book yet? Alien Information Theory? I have not. So uh, Andrew Gallimore, uh, DMTX kind of pioneer. Um, Is that the guy that came to uh, Boulder and spoke? Yeah. Yeah. Can you you talk a little bit about that for our audience? Right. So um, you and I, uh, I think that might have been the first time we met in person. Um, Was at this event in Boulder that Daniel McQueen put on. And uh, the opener was Andrew Gallimore who it's funny to have him as an opener. He's such a genius. Um, he essentially put together this theory that um, could possibly account for there being higher dimensional entities and having some sort of real, real or vertical uh, existence. And um, I, I loved it. Like his slides were just so amazing. Like this graphic, it looks really low tech or like, you know, Nintendo or something, but this particular software um, was used to model um, kind of like how life could have just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And you put in like a few small rules into the software and it looks like life is happening on a 2D scale. So he's got these kind of like images of like an object moving through the 2D grid. And then what happens when you extrapolate that to 3D and then, you know, five, five plus dimensions. Um, it's really fascinating. And so uh, a good example would be like a mitochondria coming up and, and seeing, like taking a bus ride with us, a flight, a flight across the country. None of it would make sense. Like there's too much information there for their sensory apparatus to really work. Um, we have this mind that in a DMT experience can take in a tremendous amount of information. doesn't remember too much. But over time, as you, you know, smoke a lot of DMT or perhaps get into this DMTX scenario, you can perhaps become far more uh, conversant in the quote unquote hyperdimensional space. You know, if those things have any kind of reality or have any value, um, that's still somewhat up for debate. A lot of people think for sure it does. Um, though, eh, yeah, let's not go there. But it's just a really fascinating concept. And, and, you know, what happens when us as humans are then operating at what's, what might be higher dimensional levels? Like, do we become like a new species? Um, what, what are we at that point? It's a really interesting question. And, you know, we won't really know until we do a bunch of this DMTX work, this extended state DMTX work, where you can be in a DMT experience theoretically for hours or days. And one clarification point everybody's like well that's what ayahuasca is like no it's a really pharmacologically complex thing it's two plants it's not just one molecule and um, i believe the concentration from a dmt blast off is four to eight x higher than um, for an ayahuasca experience so you really need like a lot more dmt concentration in the blood in order to have a similar thing where you can be there for a while um yeah yeah so, well- Sign me up for sure. And uh, I think that's what, yeah, that's what everybody's, yeah. Um, but for sure, I, and I love this idea that you bring up that um, 
you know, through putting ourselves into these altered states of uh, mind or exploring these, the expansion of the mind, um, the more frequently we do that and the more frequently we become familiar and create a relationship with this space, that we can actually train our ability to not only navigate the space better, but also bring back more information. So it's like, uh, like mind training, like uh, being able to train your memory to be able to, um, to hold on to more data and bring back more. Um, there's actually, I, I just listened to a, a fascinating podcast the other day. It's a brand new podcast called the mind state podcast. And then, mm -hmm. uh, in the third episode, he interviews this guy who, um, has over like 250 individual NNDMT experiences and, uh, feels very familiar with the space. And he talks about it similarly where, over time, like at first you're, you're in shock because this is all brand new information. And like you said, like it disrupts your normal sense of what reality is. And you're like, how do I even make sense of this? But after you gain some familiarity with it, he was able to start actually like having conversations with these uh, other entities in the space, or he was able to interact more with the, um, with the visualizations and bring back more learning, uh, the more familiar he became with the space. Uh, so I think that's the same with any, anything, you know, with, with exposure therapies, with training, um, you know, any sort of behavior pattern or training an athletic skill or any kind of skill like that, the more reps you get, the better you're going to be able to access those, uh, those skill sets within the mind. And the mind is like, a, it's a training ground. It's a breeding ground for, you know, if we can take the opportunity to really hone and train a lot of these skills, um, I think Buddhists go about it in the best way. They've explored it for the longest in that way. Then we, like you said, if we can access even five more percent of our brain, like maybe we can achieve like levitation and, and uh, melting matter and stuff. Just imagine, you know, what 90% or a hundred percent would be like. So I want to say two things. Um, a great analogy too is being born. So you didn't have like sight or taste really, um, all of a sudden you're just like burst onto the world. Um, you die to this, uh, being this aquatic creature. Um, and now you're an air breathing, food eating, you know, noise making thing. And there's a lot of information going on out there and you're adapting to it over time. Like, yes, you can hear when you're in the womb, but it's a different kind of hearing because you're no longer like in water, you know, uh, if you want to call it water, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, over the course of six months, your, your vision becomes clear. Um, you can, you know, start understanding how to operate your body. And it's a similar analogy that Andrew Gallimore is using in, in information theory, alien information theory. Um, so it's a, just a really exciting, fascinating book. Um, secondly, uh, you're familiar with the smile squared SMI to I think we might've talked about it last time we chatted. Yeah. We it's talked about it on your podcast. Yeah face migration and life extension intelligence squared uh something like that um and that just like what you said with an extra five percent we're double as intelligent theoretically or at least we can operate with that much more information or be more fluid or, or whatever um, there's a lot of intelligence to be unlocked mm -hmm. yeah so um how did you first gain interest in the mind in general like yeah i know you have an undergrad in philosophy so it obviously started all the way back then but were there any like quintessential um, huge experiences in your life or, or anything like that that kind of tipped you in the direction of like, oh, there's something to be explored here. And then, you know, sort of how that developed. Because for me, 
once that door was opened into, hey, there's this infinite space called the mind that we can explore and, and have fun in, like it's, it's been opening up ever since for me. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, <clears throat> hard, <laughs> but um, I think I was, a, I was definitely a very quiet child um, and I don't know exactly why, though I was just really curious. Um, there was this idea that someone, probably my father said to me at one point talking about like the owl, <laughs> you know, he only says one thing who he's only asking questions, never says anything. Um, and then that kind of like snarky line about, um, you were born with two eyes and one mouth. Why are you <laughs> two ears? Like, why are you talking so much? I forget what, what kind of context that came up in, but it sounded like a bit of wisdom to me at an early age. So I kind of grasped on. Um, I think I got really into, you know, Star Trek and X-Files as a young child. So like the mysteries there were always really fascinating. Um, and there was some stuff about like the nature of mind that would come up pretty regularly. And I think also as a very small child, my folks read to me a lot of J.R.R. Tolkien. So there's a lot of kind of like fantasy built in. Like, where, where did this shit come from? Like, how did you even do this? It's amazing. Um, I think the jury is still out on how he did it, but I don't think it was just normal literature. Um, so, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, just the mystery of being kind of was a big enough thing for me. I'm like, what, what is this thing? And how did we get here? What are we doing? Does anybody know what's going on? Who has who's holding the controls on this spaceship of insanity. Um, and I didn't even really know it was insane until really college. I got to school and 9-11 happened. And immediately I'm like, oh, better join the army because they're coming after us. Thankfully, I didn't join the army. Um, I was able to stay in school. And uh, you know, later kind of understood better the military industrial complex and how manipulated the population is by those in power. And that's a big aspect to nature of mind. Um, you know, yes, sometimes there's things that need to be done, but I think often it's what's happening at the larger scale is just serving big interests, not the people, not you as an individual for sure. I don't know. Um, sidetrack. Yeah. What do you think about, um, Oh, sorry. Um, my audio cut out. Are you back? Yeah, I can hear you. Cool, cool. My audio cut out for a sec. Um, but uh, Memorial Day just happened, and um, the U.S. Army put out on Twitter, "How has serving impacted you in your life?" And like all the veterans started coming out about all this PTSD stuff, and you know now I'm, you know, can't even be around fireworks, can't spend time with my children, blah blah blah. I'm doing a lot more work with veterans now. Um, been partly inspired by you. It's really amazing, but um. You know, there's there's something you learn by talking to veterans of these more recent wars. Um, and uh, you, you can learn about the nature of mind there, too. You know, like the human mind, the physical lower levels of it aren't that hard to understand and manipulate. Um, there's a book called Battle for the Mind or Battle of a Battle for the Mind, which kind of is a historical review of you know mind control and manipulation through the ages um very probably a little too academic but still very interesting 
Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot going on. I was always interested in conspiracy too. Like what's, you know, the X-Files is pretty big on that. And you know, if there's a conspiracy, what, what's actually happening is you're, you're kind of tricking people. Um, so, you know, conspiracy can just be three people in a room and two people kind of trying to sell the other person something. All it takes is two business people to agreeing to work on something. And then you have a conspiracy. It's kind of an old Chomsky line. So conspiracy could be at any scale. And it does say something interesting about the mind. So there's a, there's a lot. Like, I don't have a firm opinion on too many things. You know, I don't, I've never had a firm conclusion on 9-11. I wish I had one. I wish I had one on all sorts of things. But I, um, I don't. Yeah, you brought up a, a, one of those existential questions that you, you were faced with early on. And you said, um, uh, you know, some of the big ones that we all, I think, or hope that we all think about, like, why am I here? And what are we all doing? And but one of them uh, in particular stood out to me when you were listing those off. And that was, who's pulling the strings on this thing? Who has the hands on the controls <laughs> of the spaceship? And uh, I've thought, you know, I've, I've had since my teen years sort of uh, a feeling about that, right? Like, I, I don't, I never knew who is in charge, but um, it was more felt since before I got into, um, you know, psychedelic assisted work and stuff like that. And then was shown a little bit more, uh, you know, opened up a little bit more to, to what could be going on. Um, but what, what I kept being shown was that, um, you know, when that question would come up, who's pulling the strings, nobody's really pulling the strings and you know, and we're all pulling the strings at the same time. And, um, and I kept getting the message like, oh, well, if that's the case, then I'm pulling some of these strings. You know, I'm a string puller just like everyone else is. And so, so I was kind of shown like I have some, I have more agency over my life and my existence and what I want to happen in my past, present, and future. Um, and that I have some, I have some control over that, some agency as long as I'm willing to accept the responsibility and the consequences too. But that's not to say that, you know, I'm the ultimate string puller that, that I am the one God, but, uh, you know, I think Tim Leary, um, as well as other people in those circles have said, you know, you are a God, you are God, we are all God, you know? And so we all have like this agency over creating reality as it's happening. You know what I mean? I, I love that question. There's only, <laughs> You're only screwing up when you think you're the only one. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tim Leary was good friends with Robert Anton Wilson, and they they you know chatted at length about all this stuff. Robert Anton Wilson was super interested in conspiracy too, and you know he was very comical and kind of snarky about it. And I loved his approach; really helped me tremendously. Uh, one of his lines though is, you know, thinking that there's somebody in control, that there is an Illuminati that's really in control of what's happening. It's a loser script the real winner script that you can pull up is that you and your friends are the real Illuminati, the real change makers and the real influencers. It, but you have to become that. You have to figure out how to embody that. Um, you know, it takes a lot of reading, a lot of inner work, a lot of, you know, inquiry and you, know, you can do that. <laughs> and there's a lot that's worth doing. There's a real lot that's worth doing. And if you're convinced yourself that you are the change makers, you and your group, it's pretty awesome. It's way more empowering way more of like a, a quote-unquote winner script. Sure. I'm sure that's uh, a little bit of what you're feeling right now with psychedelics today and really stepping into 
what you do with with that venture and feeling like you know you're finally getting to do exactly what you're what you're meant to meant to do can you speak a little bit and tell the audience a little bit about what you do with psychedelics today right so we're an education and media company mainly trying to get uh, psychedelic enthusiasts therapists clinicians ready for the next wave of the psychedelic revolution which is coming the tsunami has not yet broken into a wave we can surf but it is coming and um, we want to help people get ready. So we, we've been around for about three years and a little over three years now, 140, 150 podcast episodes. Um, we've interviewed all sorts of people, largely doctors, clinicians, folks like you. I think you've got the title of being on the show the most, which is really cool. <laughs> and, uh, um, we have um, developed a really great online education platform. Um, Anybody from a college high school kid to a doctor could benefit from taking our classes. We're actually about to, uh, on Friday, teach our first course ever for doctors directly. Um, so it's going to be a doctor's only class. We're a few weeks into our clinician course, which is nurses, um, therapists, et cetera. That's going to be really great. Um, and a general audience. We've taught a lot of general folks. Um, so people with depression or whatever, they just want to know more about what their options are out there. because. SSRIs aren't cutting it or, you know, ketamine only helped them for a couple months and they needed something that was next. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of options there. And, you know, we really started the project because we saw that holotropic breathwork, Stan Groff's holotropic breathwork was not given an appropriate um, position in the psychedelic discussion. Um, it had been my main tool for, for years and years. And Kyle's as well, my business partner with the co-founder there as well. He, you know, got a tremendous amount of help from Breathwork. And to me, I, some of my most intense experiences, psychedelic experiences were with Breathwork. And I said, okay, this really needs to be part of the conversation. It's about psychedelic origins. It makes psychedelic experiences happen. There's something there. And um, that was kind of our main pulse. And then we just kind of like felt our way through it. And here we are kind of it's become a thing of its own dude um, I, I love um i think you you have uh you carved your own little niche in with um psychedelics today that i think is going to unfold in ways that you have no idea um uh and what came to my mind when you were speaking about psychedelics today i i forget what you said but it triggered this thing in my head that i'd heard recently maybe in the last couple of months someone just came out, came right out and said that, um, life itself, uh, everyday sober life experience is the biggest psychedelic trip of all, right? Like this is so insane that we are alive, that we exist, that I can talk to you through a computer that, uh, you know, I can see colors out like this is, this is an insane psychedelic mind manifesting trip that we're all on. Anyway, we're all on this psychedelic trip. It's just that some, uh, some of us, uh, are exploring it a little bit uh, with a little bit more vigor than others. Others are just kind of settling into the psychedelic trip. Um, some are settling in more comfortably than others, and some are struggling against the reality of just everyday life. So I think with, um, especially with things becoming decriminalized now, and I'd love to hear your, what you think uh, is going to come of decriminalized Denver and the psilocybin initiative. That was huge. Um, but yeah, with this wave coming, this new renaissance coming, in our lifetime, these things will be legal. 
these things will be destigmatized. These things will be uh, starting to, you know, we'll start to explore them. And, um, you know, that a new research center out at the London Imperial College on consciousness research and psychedelics, I think that is, that's what I want to be. And that's, that's the very crest of the wave is exploring what is consciousness itself through the use of these tools. So, right. Yeah. Um, what do you think about life as a psychedelic experience itself? <laughs> right. Like, okay. So well, psychedelics are super interesting, right? It can be, you know, you, you've been working a gas pump for 10, 12 years and then all of a sudden you find LSD and you're like, Oh my God, this is the most miraculous thing that's ever happened to me. And then all of a sudden you get wrapped up in that and, you know, lose your job pumping gas and who knows, you know, got to move back in with your family or something. You know, there's psychedelics can destabilize. Um, I think the point of psychedelics is not to like maximize the regularity at which you can ingest them. I think it's to live. Like you get this one shot theoretically to live and let's really use these things as tools to live more fully. Um, a life well lived is like the one of the biggest things, the most valuable things you can really, really do. Um, you know, some there's arguments to be made against that, but I think there's something there. And yeah, man, just looking around, like um, watching, you know, take a take a small hit of weed and watch some David Attenborough uh, deep, like the ocean floor, like Mariana Trench stuff. Holy shit! The fact that that stuff exists on this planet is unreal. Um, the amount of diversity of life, how ecosystems work. Amazing. If you look at like a permaculture education, if you do one of those 14 day permaculture design cert courses, that will change your worldview into um, seeing that everything is related, seeing that systems don't stop. Everything's a process. Um, it is one of the most psychedelic education tools and there's no drugs at most psychedelic um, or sorry, permaculture design courses. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, life on earth, life, life in the universe is, you know, we don't have to go really beyond 3D plus time, you know, 4D, if you want to call it that. Like, you don't, to see the psychedelic stuff, it's right here. Like, watch, watch water boil, see how complex the interactions are. There's, there's a lot, you know, like, it's pretty incredible. It is a miraculous existence. Mm -hmm. um, and, you don't need to be high to see it, though it might remind you that everything is psychedelic downstream. Like, okay, whoa, look at how amazing this is. Or look at the design on this flower. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to Hawaii real soon. I, I noticed that um, Canada geese got there somehow. And now there's like a different variety of Canada goose that looks like very different. And they adapted. And um, like the fur pattern is super beautiful. And like, you know, just, just the fact that, you know, evolution likely happens and it works differently than we understand at this point in history you know both of those two things are amazing and the fact that science is young like yes there's laws for space time i don't think we fully understand those yet like they we understand them as far as we do which is decent um but you know there's there's more yeah and i think um that's something that the decriminalize effort in denver is really going to make a huge impact on uh people are all up in arms and and kind of worried about you know what does it mean for the kids and what are the kids are going to think and like all these things are going to happen and you know, we're going to have uh people tripping down on 16th street mall and stuff 
you know, I, I only hold good hope. And I think that um, with the, the decriminalizing piece, uh, yeah, we might see an initial spike in use just in celebration, but it's going to peter off just like we saw with the cannabis industry. And my hope is that, you know, even with a microdose of these non-toxic mushrooms, people can finally start to experience some of the beauty that you and I are talking about, you know, seeing beauty in, in everyday little things, you know, take, take a microdose of mushrooms and yeah, look, watch it, watch uh, water boil or watch grass grow. Like it's insane. Get down on the ground and, and put your face in the dirt and see what's really going on there. There's a whole world down there. Um, if you just pay attention and some of these medicines, some of these, um, these compounds can help open that door so that you don't need the drug afterwards, you know, once you've experienced it once, you're like, okay, I know that exists and I can go appreciate it uh, at just the same level. But, you know, um, what, what do you think the decriminalized efforts going to, how it's going to unfold and, and what is that going to mean for us, especially living here in Colorado? <laughs> um, huge things. I don't know if you saw the headline today, but there was a bill decriminalizing possession of four grams and less. Yeah, defelonizing. Yeah, that was Jared Polis. That was awesome. And uh, I want to know your opinion, too, because I think that's fantastic being a uh, licensed addiction counselor myself and seeing the stigma and the struggle that people who get felonies for small amounts of drugs have to carry this felony with them for the rest of their life. It impacts their ability to get work and oftentimes uh, makes people give up and just go straight into the drug life anyway when, you know, minor possession. So that the interesting thing is four grams, okay? So four grams of most drugs, not that big of a deal. But what about four grams of LSD, right? That is, uh, that's a lot. You didn't even consider that. That is a lot of LSD. Um, and, and I don't, again. You're going to federal penitentiary at that point. Yeah, well, well, the policymakers, I don't know if they considered that or uh, or if, if there's anybody just wise to that. On yeah, the darker you... side. <laughs> so let's talk decrim first. Um, yes. So I, I believe that there's going to be a huge uptick in the black slash gray market for underground facilitators with psilocybin. I think... Um, the majority of the media has gotten it wrong. Everybody thinks it's legal now. Now that mushrooms are legal, what are you going to do? It's, well, they're not, man. Um, you know, education is going to have to be a big deal. Like, we're going to have to keep educating folks. I plan on doing more education in person in Denver to help reduce harm because there will be some hospitalizations from this, for sure. Um, though, you know, we have historical precedents for decriminalization being pretty good. Um, Portugal, Switzerland for one. Um, Amsterdam, if you look at when when Netherlands kind of changed their pot laws a little bit, people started smoking less weed. Same thing here, like less kids are smoking weed. So you probably see less kids in Denver eating mushrooms at a certain point. Like it's it's not as edgy, it's not, it's not as illegal. So you're probably um, gonna see some stuff there. Um, so those are the two biggest things. Um, I think we're also going to see a, a flap of physicians prescribing psilocybin through that um, federal right to try act. Plus this makes Denver physicians feel safer um, trying that out. Um, and I think it's going to be a strengthened psychedelic culture in Denver, like the psychedelic club. Um, I was recently, um, uh, 
granted a seat on the Psychedelic Club National Board. Um, so I'm now a board, thank you, board of directors member. Uh, it's my first ever board of directors position. So hopefully I can live up to that. So I think we're going to see, and they're based in Denver, I think we're going to see them have more energy because they played a huge part in this project. Um, I think we're going to see more and more um, uh, empowerment of grassroots organizers. And we'll see, you know, perhaps decriminalization of ayahuasca next um, in the limits, which would be amazing. You know what I would love to see, um, just to kind of shine a light back on Colorado, but in a positive way, um, you know, we've heard a lot and we've read a lot about uh, microdosing culture in um, Silicon Valley and microdosing uh, and its roles in, and large, large experiences and its roles in, um, Solving big complex problems um, throughout history. Uh, I mean, uh, the iPod was thought of during an LSD trip, that sort of thing. Um, I would love to see now that these efforts are really taking shape here in our home state, um, if all of a sudden we had like this huge boom in the next five years of like technological expansion and problem solving and Nobel Prize winners and things like that coming out of a psychedelically informed culture here in Colorado. I think that if we can, if we can hold it together and, and keep, um, keep people educated and show people the right way um, to go about this, then, you know, we can really lead the charge and show people what the potential is that, uh, you know, we have this small little bubble, psychedelic bubble that's forming right here and other States are going to form their own bubbles too. And people are going to start to see innovation and, amazing things come out of this, uh, this whole venture. I think you're, you're onto something. I, I'm negligent because that's typically the thing I say is more interesting than therapy is creativity and creative problem solving. And, um, that really is where, you know, the rubber meets the road, you know, we're theoretically, you know, down to the wire around extinction and climate and we need all the creativity we can get. Um, so, Yes, I would love to see that. And I think there is a huge option there. Like if individuals are only going to get a small fine um, or whatever the penalty is, then I think the incentive is much higher than elsewhere. But I think people need to be educated on this. Um, so maybe maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll just go down to Denver and run some creativity for psychedelic workshops and see what happens. I, I think there's something there. And the more people understand that, I think you're right. Like <laughs> I would almost hate to see it but Denver could become, you know, as high rent as San Francisco if we play our cards wrong or right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but a thing I like is this, um, one of the pluses the United States has um, over a lot of other countries is that we have um, di huge diversity um, in our politics and laws by state and city and, um, and states can kind of compete to see what laws work best. And, you know, if you want to stay as broke as, I don't know, for instance, uh, New Mexico, you do, or, or uh, Alabama, you do what Alabama does and make, make little girls, you know, go to prison for life or something, you know, there's, there's a lot there. Um, and having states have to compete, I think is really cool because states have to stay ahead of each other um, to get more people there. You know, Colorado is getting a lot of people and there's a lot of brain drain elsewhere. So what are other states going to have to do to kind of maintain their population? Otherwise, their constituency is not going to be happy about the decline in, I don't know, GDP of the states, you know? 
it's, it's, a, it's an interesting competitive scenario. And I, I think there's going to be some traction as a result of that. And I, thanks for bringing that up around creativity. I think you're right. Yeah. And then what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on the defelonizing um, of, of all substances in, uh, and this is, this is statewide, right? This is not just Denver. This is statewide. Right. Statewide, which is a big deal. Um, I think Mitch Gomez at Dance Safe played a big part in this. Um, he also helped um, get test kits to be not declared as um, paraphernalia. So it's, you know, less penalty for carrying around a test kit, though there's been no real charges on that statewide, I don't think. But yes, one of the biggest moves we can do to reduce the harm around drugs is decriminalizing, if not totally legalizing. Because if you don't know what you're, as we cut access for good drugs, people just buy worse drugs, like, you know, crocodile in, in Russia and um, fentanyl. Um, it's like, you, because heroin's harder to get, your dealers are more incentivized to, you know, how much value can you squeeze into a, a brick? Um, and fentanyl's way more profitable than a brick of heroin. So, you know, bring on the harder drugs and the scarier drugs. And as we legalize and take the stigma out and decriminalize, we make it more possible to do better harm reduction services. So, you know, always back for me, switch to Switzerland and Portugal, where Switzerland pretty much has, and, and Portugal, zero heroin ODs every year. Um, no bloodborne infections from sharing needles. I, I think the rate's just way lower than it was before. Like HIV is super low in those countries now. And they had extraordinarily high HIV rates and OD rates before. Worse. I, I believe their heroin epidemics were worse than what we're dealing with here in terms of our whole opioid epidemic. And they were able to totally sort it out through compassion over enforcement. And yeah. So, so what I've uh, read to being in a, in the substance abuse field, um, not only did they legalize uh, all drugs, but instead of punishing, like now, now if you get busted with drugs, um, I think unless it's for mass distribution, uh, distribution or something, that's still illegal. But if you get busted with any sort of personal drug use, there's no penalty. You don't go in front of a judge. You don't go to jail. You don't even get arrested. You, you go in front of uh, like a treatment board of people, of professionals, uh, doctors, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, and they, they help you put together a plan for rehabilitation. So instead of going uh, on a, a punitive model, it's, it's a rehabilitative, compassionate model. And not only do they help these people and, and the country pays for them to go get um, the treatment that they need, but they also help set them up in the transition period back to society. So they will get these people jobs um, to help reestablish meaning and purpose in their life. They will help with social connections and connectivity, you know, the whole rat park stuff, um, connecting people back to the community so that they're not stigmatized for being uh, drug addicts and, and making it, um, you know, like a normalized thing. I'm not sure if they have uh, safe injection sites over there, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a component. Yeah, so that, that's an important component too. And, and I see a lot on social media these days, uh, you know, there's some efforts in different countries and different states to put up safe injection sites. I think the bill in Denver just got shot down for that. Um, but people who are opposed don't really look into or take the time to look into the real research behind it. Safe injection sites are super good for the community. Um, 
and people I think are afraid that, yeah, now you're just going to give people an excuse and a place to go use and, and avoid life. Well, they're going to be doing that anyway, but this is giving them a safe place, a clean place to do it with medical professionals around. I think safe injection sites cut down on overdose deaths by almost a hundred percent because they have the Narcan on hand. They have the, you know, the defibrillators on hand. They have clean needles on hand. And these things are really good um, to keep, to keep it contained, you know, and then also when people go in there and they really hit rock bottom, they also have uh, facilitators there that can help connect people directly to treatment um, when they need it. Because what I find in my field is that, you know, I deal with a lot of opiate um, addicted folks who come in and get medication assisted therapy with Suboxone or, or Subutex or some other uh, medicine. And oftentimes they say, I'm so happy that I found you guys because no one told me where to go to get help for these things. No one showed me that there was other options other than a cold detox or a hard detox off of my opiates. I had no idea there were options and I'm so glad I found you guys. And I feel like probably only 2% of the addicts out there who want to get clean know where to go to get help. Um, and the other 98% are left on their own just trying to figure it out. And that's probably why we have such a high relapse rate. Helping people connect to treatment rather than to jails, which help perpetuate the problem in the first place and fuel not only the, you know, you're talking about the military industrial complex. So I liken that a lot to the, the prison complex uh, and private prison systems for profit and, and modern day slavery and uh, yeah. putting people behind bars for for you know a couple joints in some in some parts of the country you can still go to prison for a long time for a couple joints and it's ridiculous um yeah man i you know some people aren't ready for treatment you just have to have it ready for when you know, they are and um, i had this crazy conversation with one of my oldest friends and he was just going off on the fentanyl crisis and where he lives and i <laughs> the degree to which he was not compassionate killed me. And it was because of the media he had been listening to and the people he had been talking to. It's like, no, just let them die. Like, don't let the EMTs go there because they're just gonna have to go again tomorrow. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you're my friend and this is how you're talking? And I had to say, okay, let's pump the brakes, Joe. Don't freak out. Just kind of like be compassionate because he doesn't know um, and give him the education he needs to, you know, be a a little bit more compassionate around this. Um, like, you know, even if you want to just look at it as a pure numbers game with 30 to $50,000 to dispatch an ambulance to pick up a dead body, um, Narcan hundred dollars. Like, why aren't we giving out Narcan everywhere? Like the, yeah. the numbers make a lot of sense. At my clinic, we, we literally have like 500 boxes of Narcan and we hand it out to every single person for free. Um, so if you're in the Fort Collins area or the Northern Colorado area and you need Narcan to help prevent overdose from opiates, come to, come to us. We can give it to you for free. Outstanding. And I was visiting Vancouver a couple years back in British Columbia. They have one of the worst opiate epidemics, um, people dying constantly uh they actually had free narcan all over the place which is really neat um yeah it's you know it, it's so cheap to save a life you still have to get the ambulance there probably because narcan only acts for a short period of time but it's still a big deal and it does save their lives um and you know 
addiction is a complicated thing, as you well know. Um, one of my favorite books, um, I hate to talk about this book because the guy kind of got himself in trouble, but Chasing the Scream. Did you read that one? Um, I, I think the guy got in trouble for plagiarism or something, but the book is still incredible um, and does a really good job taking a compassionate look at um, addiction and reframes a lot of this stuff for us and it goes into the kind of racist, gross um, origins of the drug war and addiction. And it's, it's a very helpful book if you want to dig into addiction more. Um, and yeah, drug use isn't necessarily bad, right? Like there's, there's ways to use drugs. Like there's heroin addicts that hold down normal careers and their family never finds out. Um, heroin's actually pretty safe if used appropriately. Um, fentanyl. Clean, yeah. Yeah. If you got every clean thing clean and maybe if you're paying, you're rich enough to pay a nurse to do it for you. Like that, that'd be cool. But you know, there's people in Switzerland who have been lifelong addicts and nobody knows and the government helps them through that. And they're able to hold down a normal career and life and family and everything. Yeah. So um, on sort of spinning off of what you do with psychedelics today too, and the education piece, but also talking about, um, you know, functional drug users. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen the show house? Yeah. The doctor, the diagnostician. So um, Callie and I, my wife and I, uh, that's our new show and we're watching it from start to finish. And, in season one, there's a couple interesting episodes. One of the episodes, um, House takes uh, LSD. First, he injects himself with, um, I think it was uh, nitroglycerin to induce a migraine headache. And then to come out of the migraine, once he proved this guy's theory wrong, he took LSD um, to, to help him with his, um, his headaches and his uh, cluster headaches. And uh, so in this light, they, they were showing it... Um, sort of playfully, but very skillfully, I thought they were, they were playing off of some of the, the fears of some of the other doctors around the substance, but also House's perception of like, this is no big deal, guys. Like, like this, is, this is no big deal. It's curing my headaches. It's very healing. And then just last night, we watched the final episode of season one, and you have to go watch this. So this is, um, so uh, I'm not going to give away the whole thing, but House has, has some issue that um, requires him to get uh, ketamine anesthesia. Mm. And, and he has this whole uh, ketamine experience, um, you know, going in the K-hole and, and, uh, and coming up with, with answers to problems. He's trying to solve diagnostic problems. He's trying to solve. So he ends up like saving people's lives and like, like healing himself at the same time with these ketamine experiences. And the whole episode is just one big ketamine trip. Uh, and then at the end, like the last scene before the, before the season is over, um, it's like a rewind all the way back to like right before the surgery. And he's like, tell him I want ketamine. And then you know, it rewinds. And, and it's really interesting because in season two, it unfolds in the first couple episodes, like some of the benefits that he got from the ketamine treatment, including, um, uh, completely coming out of a chronic pain issue. He was going from limping on a cane to running uh, five to seven miles a day and like working out, uh, overcoming depression, overcoming um, all sorts of mental health issues uh, for a number of months after his ketamine treatment. So it was, it was fairly accurate to um, some of the scientific results we've been seeing. So I, I love that they, they probably 
got somebody knowledgeable to consult on that, but that's something you got to see. Uh, I think it's a good way. It's good to see that um, modern mass media like that is properly educating people on some of these substances and yeah, also addressing some of the fears in a very creative way, but also in the end showing that this is very beneficial and, uh, and something useful. I saw a episode of the show Homeland years ago where they did an Ibogaine session. It was horrifying in like a CIA holding cell. So it was not a ideal conditions, but uh, holy shit, they did a great job painting that picture. Um, and uh, you know, that, that could be a good project collecting psychedelic uh, references in pop culture. Um, yeah. No, that'd be yeah. excellent. My girlfriend's watching house right now. So I, I like watch it. I look not currently, but I often look over and go, well, he is such an asshole, but he's like, you know, they, they paint him poorly because that, you know, that works for the story or whatever, but it's always interesting stuff. And yeah, it's just drugs, right? Like drugs are just drugs. And you know, some people just love booze, which is, you know, proven to be the most dangerous drug. Was that third, third killer, third biggest killer of humans behind like cancer, heart disease is like drinking, mm -hmm. I think. Well, sugar, sugar, one of the worst drugs out there, man. <laughs> That's probably the cancer one. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know you got to get going. Um, but Joe, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope to have you on the show again. You, I mean, you bring such a unique and amazing lens on the mind and consciousness and all your experiences and all the people you've talked to and all the great work that you're doing. I want to thank you for all that. And yeah, man, it's, it's been great. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dane. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been really fun. And yeah, anytime you want me back on, I'm game. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye. What an awesome podcast that was. I know it was short, folks, at only an hour, but uh, Joe and I really got into some really cool, deep stuff, and I love the direction that we were starting to go with a number of the topics. I hope that you guys all got a lot from the podcast. I know I did. I always get a lot every time I talk to Joe, whether it's you know on a podcast, on his podcast, on Psychedelics Today, or my podcast, or... Um, at all sorts of uh, meetings and conferences that we seem to see each other at uh, to, you know, whatever. It's always good to see him and uh, what, a, what a blessing it is that we have someone like him and his, uh, his co-founder, um, partner Kyle, to help educate and help spread the good research and the good news about um, consciousness and breath work and psychedelics and, um, you know, navigating altered states and all sorts of great great stuff that they're doing over there so i think again thank you joe for coming on the show thank you to all the listeners out there please continue to listen 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 tell your friends and family to listen um that is is honestly the best way to get the word out uh, more so than social media uh is word of mouth and that warm handoff if you can tell your friends and family like hey guys uh i just found this cool podcast i really think you should listen to it um that really helps us out a lot um, but, you know, if all you can do is like and share the podcast, then that's great. Uh, please continue to do so. Your reach on social media helps extend our little uh, tentacles of, of, uh, tentacles of positive messages and um, consciousness uh, reformation. Our little tentacles going out there and, and touching the minds of other people. So uh, please help us extend that, that friendly hand uh, out to others and help others join the conversation with us 
great awesome please like and share uh check out our mind ops youtube page check out the mind ops website mind-ops.com and please continue to listen to the podcast oh uh, yeah last but not least donate if you guys feel um that this information is useful to you at all um please donate any amount helps and we're going to be upgrading our uh, systems very very shortly so here's to more conversations and uh yeah we'll see you guys next time take care of yourselves love ya bye